praise be to our God forever. Man, forever and ever. Thankful to be here with you this morning. How we doing, Epiphany? Good. What an awesome delight it is to be gathered together to sing, to preach, to corporately um, worship our King, Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, that is why we gather here today. We do not gather for no other reason uh, but to bring God glory. Psalm 115 says, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you get the glory. And so we don't come for our own fame, but we come to put the spotlight and the focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And no greater time to do that than uh, this Christmas season. And so I'm excited about that. You guys still in the festive love in the room? Yeah. And man, thank God for, uh, for the team that came in yesterday to put everything together. Listen, I also want to say welcome to our first time visitors. If this is your first time with us today, we are grateful that you decided to come hang out with us. Uh, pray that you would um, Talk to someone here that's a member that's, uh, that's been coming at any amount of time. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer them. And we, most of all, we'd love to hear your story and hear a little bit about you. So let me extend that welcome to you as well. Well, Epiphany, it is our first Sunday in December, and that means we are kicking off our Advent series. Advent literally means the, the arrival of a notable person. Um, We said last week, no one's more notable than Jesus Christ. It is the arrival of our King Jesus Christ. And so we've already experienced it. We'll talk about it the entire month. We've already experienced the, the, the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus Christ. And now we are eagerly anticipating the second advent when he comes back. For us, And so we are look, looking forward to that day. Let me just clarify one quick thing before we jump in. Um, let me just clarify one quick thing. Gabe said that Pastor uh, Dr. Eric Mason is preaching on the 17th. That's a Saturday. I promise you nobody will be here. So uh, it's the 18th, the next day. So you guys come out that Sunday, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. Uh, and if you aren't familiar with his ministry, um, he has a, a very powerful ministry in terms of a, a strong and influential voice, a proclaimer of the gospel message of Jesus Christ um, and someone that I deeply love and respect. So I ask that you, uh, that you guys mark that on your calendar and, and pray that you would be here. All right. Genesis chapter six, as we are talking about being in the Christmas spirit, Genesis chapter six, as you're turning there, you're probably saying, I have no clue why we are going to Genesis six for a Christmas, uh, a Christmas story, uh, but I would, I would go so far as to say, man, we, don't, we wouldn't understand Christmas without a Genesis chapter number six. And my hope this morning, you know, it, 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 I hate to sound like a, a Ebenezer Scrooge or, uh, or a Grinch that stole Christmas, but today um, I really want to focus us not just on the traditional, what we think we know about Christmas, but I like to focus us on the need for Christmas. Why do we even need Christmas. Why did we, when I say need Christmas, why did we even need Jesus Christ to come? To come? Now, listen, I promise you, I'm not the sharpest tool in, in, in the shed. I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. But one thing I do know is that we do not need Christ to come if Genesis chapter six is not true. What we're going to see in Genesis chapter six is how sin fleshes itself out, how it works its way out in all of humanity. And the only reason we needed a savior is because we were sinful. So without Genesis 6, we don't need 
Jesus Christ to come. But the truth is we needed Jesus Christ to come because of not just Genesis 6, but all of from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22 is, shows us sin after sin after sin, which shows us why we needed someone to come save us. So if you could meet me in Genesis 6, we'll be in verse number Verse number five is where we'll be. I'll read, I'll announce our theme or our topic, and then we will breathe a word of prayer. Verse number five says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continuously. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Underline that phrase. Verse number seven, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of this land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven of the heaven. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I like to preach this morning as we kick off our Advent series from the topic, the need for Christmas, the need for Christmas. Let us pray and look to the Lord. Lord, each Sunday we start our time in your word by breathing a word of prayer. And we do that because we realize that we are dependent on you. Come to the realization that second by second and moment by moment, we are in desperate need of you. And this moment would be no different as we engage in your word and talk about the need for Christmas. Would you help us to see that our greatest need is Jesus Christ? Focus us in on him today as he is the only hope of the world. It's in Christ's name and his name alone that we come before you. Let everyone say amen. amen. The need for Christmas. It's easy for us to celebrate Christmas and not know what the need for Christmas is. And so when you hear me say the need for Christmas, let me assure you, I'm not talking about the need for eggnog. I'm not talking about the need for mistletoe, Well, maybe the mistletoe. I'm, I might slip that one in. Uh, but, but I'm not talking about the need for Christmas trees and, and presents, uh, what I'm stockings and Santa Claus. That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about the need for Christmas, I'm talking about the need for Christ the one who Christmas is supposed to be about. And let me assure you, Jesus Christ, us celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ does not mean that Jesus Christ was created. Jehovah's Witness will say that. They'll point to the fact that Jesus was born and say, well, he was created. But Jesus Christ was all through the Old Testament before he even stepped foot in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus Christ already was. This is known. I'm going to throw this big term out there. You can write this down and Google it later. It's called the hypostatic union. It literally is the combination of the divine and the human in one person. There's only one person that we see the hypostatic union uh, dwell in in concert, and that is Jesus Christ. And let, let, me, let me assure you that the hypostatic union does not mean that Jesus Christ was 50% man and 50% God. He was not. If he was 50% and 50%, he is not a sufficient sacrifice, but he was 100% man and 100% God without mixing the two natures. So the baby in the manger was God. He, the baby in the manger was the one that created and sustains all of life, according to Colossians chapter one. Why did he have to be 100% man? Because man owed the debt. So he had to become a man. Why did he have to be 100% God? Because only God can live up to God's standard. What is God's standard? It's not average. God's standard is not getting a B plus. God's standard is perfection. God's standard is getting an A, getting 100% without anything wrong. God's standard is 
crossing every T and dotting every I. The reason we need Jesus is because we failed. We didn't get a 90 on the test. We didn't get an 80. We got a zero. Jesus Christ came. The baby in the manger got a 100 on the test. And so what we see with this hypostatic union is we see that 100% God, the the deity of Jesus Christ, was not compromised with him being a man. let 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 me also say, you know, when you think of our sinfulness, our sinfulness isn't learned behavior. Some of it is, but... It's really just the outworkings of inherited sin, meaning it was passed down from your father and it was passed down from his father to his father, which is why Jesus Christ is unique, because Jesus Christ does not come from the bloodline of Joseph. If he did, he would have inherited sin, but he was consumed in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, perfect, spotless example for us for what it looks like to be without sin. I'm told of a story of an old preacher as we talk about sinfulness. I'm told of a story of an old preacher that was on his, he was on his deathbed. He was on his way out. He was in his home in his bedroom about to die. And he called for two of his members to, uh, sent word to, and message to two of his members to come and visit him at, in his final hours. These two, one was a doctor and one was a lawyer. They didn't even know the, the preacher that well in terms of, they didn't even think the preacher liked them because he often would preach messages on covetedness and, and, uh, and it would often make them feel uncomfortable. And so they finally come to the house and the, the family members rush them up the stairs and they look at the old preacher when they come into the room and the old preacher taps to his right and to his left, and he tells them to come sit down on his bedside. They're flattered at this moment. They're like, I can't believe this old preacher would want us to spend his last few moments with him. Well, the preacher says nothing. He just looks in the, in the, in the ceiling, doesn't say a word to these, to these two, this doctor and this lawyer. And then finally, the doctor and the lawyer were just puzzled at why them? Why were they getting to sit there? They thought they were great people. They thought they made, they were socioeconomic. They were, they were doing well financially. They thought they had it all together. And the preacher set them down. And finally, they said, well, why did you ask us to come over? You haven't said a word to us. He musters up enough strength in his sick and weakly voice. And he says, because Jesus died between two sinful thieves and I want to die between between two sinful thieves. What we see in that story is that no matter what type of job you have, no matter what type of money you're able to make, no matter how good of a Christian you think you are, no matter how often you come to church, I don't care if you lead small group, I don't care if you attend small group, I don't care if you come every single Sunday, all of us have sin in this room. And so what we saw in this text today, we will see play out in our lives as well. It's easy for us to read this and say, man, that's not me. But the truth of the matter, it is. After Jesus created everything in Genesis chapter one, verse number 31, he looks at it and say, he doesn't just say it's good. He says, behold, it's very good. Somewhere between Genesis chapter 31, 131 and Genesis chapter six, only six small chapters later, we see that sin spirals out of control spirals out of control, and it reaches all of humanity. And today, God warns us through the text of what awaits us if we have not trusted Jesus, the wrath of God. We got to see that in Genesis chapter 6. Now, I know you're like, well, I see the garland. I saw the tree coming, the copper tree coming up. Like, I thought we were going to talk about Christmas. Again, we don't understand Christmas without understanding this passage. I'm convinced that most of us don't think we're that sinful. 
We just don't. We think we're good people. And the reason we think that is because we size ourselves up next to somebody else that looks more trifling than we do. And so we're like, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I don't cheat on my taxes. I never had an affair. I don't do drugs. And so I'm not that bad of a person. But the truth is you are that bad of a person. The scripture just showed us how deep evil and sin and wickedness goes. Goes more beyond than just your action. But the scripture told it, it goes to the intent of the heart. We don't want to talk about that. And so what we're going to see in our story this morning And our Christmas story this morning is why we needed that baby in the manger. And this is why. Look at verse number five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention, listen to this, every intention of the thought of his heart was only on evil continuously. The first three words of that verse begs for our attention this morning. The Lord saw. Please don't get it twisted. The Lord sees your sin. The sin that popped into your mind when I said that, he, that's laid bare before him. God is able to see that sin. What we often do is we think that God doesn't see our sin. And the most, most of the time, we think that God doesn't see our sin because we think that because my sin didn't go punished at that moment, then it went unnoticed. But just because your sin didn't go, unpun- didn't go punished at that moment doesn't mean that your sin went unnoticed. Sin always catches up to us. Do you see what verse 7, what awaits their sin in verse number 7? We didn't, I don't want to jump ahead, so I don't want to move too quickly. But the wrath of God awaits their sin. Yes, this is a story about Noah and God wiping out all of humanity because of their sin. But what we see here is that God sees our sin. He knows your sin. Doesn't just know the actions that you do, but he knows the intent of your heart. That's how deep his knowledge goes. We almost get the impression reading this text that God is sitting in an observation post and he's watching you and he's evaluating you. That's what we almost see here. I'm going to throw out another big word. What we see here, the language that's used in verse number five, the Lord saw is what's called anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism literally means that God, who is a spirit, according to John chapter four, verse 24, the scriptures describe him using human characteristics. What do I mean by that? The Lord saw that means that he had eyes. Wait, but John chapter four, verse 24 says he's a spirit. So what we see here is anthropomorphism. Let me give you some more examples of that. Numbers chapter six, verse 25. Watch this one. The Lord will make his face shine upon you. Wait a second. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a face. It's helping us to understand the transcendence, the bigness, the huge nature of God. Our finite minds cannot understand in infinite. We can't understand the bigness of God. And so the scripture helps us out. It almost dummies down so that you and I can understand this God that is spirit. It says it makes his face shine upon you. Exodus chapter 7 verse 5. I will stretch out my hand against Egypt. How do you stretch out your hand when you're a spirit? It's anthropomorphism. Psalm 34, 15, I love this one because it gives two anthropomorphisms. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their city. The spirit has eyes and ears. What we are seeing play out through these verses, what we're seeing is God trying to describe himself through the scriptures in a way that we could relate, in a way that we could understand. So when the text says, 
that the Lord saw. It's communicating to us that God in his own sovereign choice decided to do an appraisal of human motivations and human actions. The Lord saw. He sees your sin. Don't get uncomfortable about that. I know when I read that early this week, I was thinking to myself, wait, so the Lord saw that? And he saw that? And he saw that thought? Yes, the Lord sees that. Nothing's hidden from our God. The question I have on the table is when the Lord decides to do peekaboo through your life, what does he see? When he decides to eat popcorn and Pepsi and Twizzlers and watch the movie of your life, what type of movie are you making God sit through? Some of us make God sit through a drama. Some of us make him sit through crime scenes. Some Ed raised his hand. I'm sorry. That just threw, that threw my whole flow off. Some of us make God sit through all types of... Now, I'm going to be a little bit more explicit this morning. Y'all know I have no filter when I'm up here. So I say things that just sometimes I have to repent of later. Listen, some of you make God sit through a porn flick. Question on the table is what do you Show God through the movie of your life. The only point I'm trying to make here is that God sees. And he doesn't just see some things, but he sees everything. He sees both the external and the internal. Let's deal with which one the text presents first. It deals with the external. The Lord saw, verse number five, pick me back up there. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. First thing he shows us is the actions and behavior. The Lord sees what you do on a consistent basis. The Lord sees what most people in your life don't see, just you. The Lord sees your actions. He sees your behavior. And God just called when he looked down from the observation post of heaven. He called all of humanity wicked. All of humanity. He said, you are wicked. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, as the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic Ocean, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. You're not good people. You're not a good guy. I'm not a good person. No, scripture shows us that God sees the wickedness of our hearts. And we may be able to convince others that we're not that bad. But the truth is, the scriptures introduce us to the fact that God sees it all. He sees the one night stand. He sees what you do when no one else is around. He sees that tweet. He sees that text. He sees that direct message. When nobody else sees it, just you, God sees it, sees all of our actions. And we are not good people. But the scary part of what God sees is not just the fact that he sees your behavior. Here's the scary part of what God sees, that he sees your thoughts. Look at what the scripture says. It says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart We're only on evil continuously. God sees your thoughts. Okay, let me do it this way because you're like, no, he really can't see my thoughts. Let's do it this way. If I was to take your thoughts from just the last week, I'm not talking all of your thoughts all of your life, just the last week. If I took your thoughts that you told nobody about, your thoughts that didn't produce into any type of behavior or action, and I put them on these two screens, you would run out of here and never show your face again. Because there are things that we think wicked, perverted thoughts on a consistent basis, and we don't tell anybody about it. But here's the truth. Verse 5 says, the Lord sees it. The Lord, do you, are you sensing a need for a savior yet? 
should be sensing the need through what we're saying. Now, I know you're like, well, you're exaggerating, Pastor B. That means this is just one verse. One little verse talks about this. So you're exaggerating a little bit. Let me go to another verse, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. This talks about your heart as well. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Then it asks a question, who can understand it? Wait a minute. The scripture in Jeremiah 17, 9 just called my heart sick. No, it said it's desperately sick. Your heart is desperately sick. I, I told you guys last week that my grandmother passed away a couple of weeks ago. And or last week she passed away. And uh, when before she passed away, we were going to the hospital on Amsterdam in Harlem, Amsterdam in 116th. We would go to the hospital, Ty and I, and we'd sit with my grandmother and, and, and pray and, and, and rub her hair and, and just try to comfort her. But what I noticed on my way to my grandmother's room is I passed room after room after room of desperately sick people. And the people that were in these rooms, they weren't able to help themselves. Some of them, I mean, were in comas. Some of them literally weren't mobile. They couldn't move. They couldn't talk. They just had to lay there. When you're there, you need someone else to help you. What the scripture tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9 is that we are that sick spiritually, that your heart is that wicked. And so when your heart is that wicked, you don't need a bandage over your heart. You don't need, a, you don't need some IV. You don't need the same heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says you need a new heart. That's why it says that God said, I will remove the heart of flesh, the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? I'll move a, the heart of stone that's cold and, and not able to be penetrated. I'll move that heart and give you a heart of flesh, one that's soft and able to be molded by the Lord. Ezekiel 36 makes it clear. You don't need an IV when you're that sick. You need a heart transplant. And we get that from our great physician. And normally what we do is we try to say, well, I'm not that sick. Isn't it funny how when you're real, real sick, we try to, you know, diagnose ourselves. First of all, never diagnose yourself on Google. Like you'll, you'll look for a sore throat and you're like, I got cancer in my throat. <laughs> like Google is the worst place to diagnose yourself. When we're sick, we normally try to tell others how to treat ourselves. The scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that you're that sick. You can't diagnose yourself. God diagnoses and his diagnosis is not let me fix this old heart. No, you need a new one. Jeremiah 17, 9, Ezekiel 36, 26. Okay, I know you're still like, well, I still don't believe you. My heart's not that bad. And I'm going to get out of verse five in a second. I know you're like, well, my heart's still not that bad. We just went through a red letter series preaching about the words of Jesus Christ that are in red. This next verse I want to read to you is in red. It means Jesus said, if you don't believe nobody else, you should believe Jesus. And when Jesus says it, he says seven things that come out of your heart. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. He says, for out of your heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That's what comes out of our heart, according to Jesus. And so you may be sitting here saying, well, I'm not that bad. My heart is not that sick. The truth of the matter is it is. And here's the, here's the other thing about verse number five. It's not just that God sees your actions. It's not just that God sees the intent of our wicked hearts. But notice the perpetual nature of the sin. Look at verse five, the last word in verse number five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only on evil. Circle this continually. That means that wickedness is continually on our minds. That was what was happening in this time, in the time that Moses would have wrote Genesis, continually all they thought about, all their actions were, was sinfulness and sinfulness and sinfulness. This is why we needed a savior to save us from our wretched stuff. And that's why we needed the baby in the manger. It's not just some cute little cuddly baby. No, this is our savior. The one that the scriptures say the government is on his shoulders. That's who we get to celebrate today. Now that we have seen God diagnose and expose to us the wickedness in our heart, I love verse number six because God shows us his heart for our sin. Look at verse number six. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. Here it is. And it grieved him to his heart. Two times we saw, verse number five, we saw a heart talking about our actions and our intentions and our thoughts. The second time we see the word heart used, now we're seeing our hearts as it relates to God's heart, which is very important. The question I have is, what does God have in his heart? What does he feel about our sin? We saw what we felt about our own sin. What does God feel about our sin? The verse says it. I don't have to make this up. It preaches it itself. The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. Listen to it. And it grieved him to his heart. Get on your mind that your sin grieves God. Like God does not have to voluntarily bind his emotions to humanity. He could have created us and been cold and stepped back and let us do our thing. But yet our sin moves God to grief. Which is important. You know why that's important? Because we often think that our sin automatically moves God to wrath. But your sin moves God to an emotional anguish over your sin. Hypothetically speaking, what would happen if we were grieved over what grieves God? What would happen if our sin grieved us so much that we felt the emotional anguish that God feels over our sin? Scripture says that it grieves God to his heart. Now, you know why else this is important? Keep in mind, this is the story where God is about to wipe out all the humanity with a flood. You guys knew it. You, I, I don't know if you grew up in church, if you heard this story before. Even non-believers that don't have any religious background know the story of Noah. Don't watch that film, Noah. It's the worst film. It doesn't, it's not even close to being like in the Bible. They had rock men and all types of stuff building the, building the ark. It just didn't make sense. This is the story about Noah and the ark. But what's interesting is whenever I used to read it as a kid, I often thought that God wiped out all the humanity because he was angry. But the scripture tells us that he wiped out humanity because it grieved him. Because his heart was moved to desperate grief and he didn't have to do that. He again, don't get it twisted. He could have been cold to us. There's another emotion that God feels in the text, though. He feels grief. But look at what else he feels. Going back to the first part of verse number six, and the Lord regretted that he made man. He feels regret. First time that we're introduced in all of scripture to the fact that God felt regret. And the only time that God felt regret here is regret over your sin. So God is not emotional. God isn't angry. God is holy and his holiness moves him to regret and his holiness moves him 
to grieve. Mark, th- Mark 3, 5, this is what Jesus said. And he looked around. This is what it says about Jesus. And he looked around at them in anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. Like get on your mind that God, what God feels about your sin. And so when we go and sin and no one else sees it, God is in heaven grieved over it. And yet we feel nothing. We don't feel repentance. We don't feel conviction. We feel like it's okay. No, we need the baby in the manger. We needed Christ. God doesn't just move in our scripture. If he moved, if verse six wasn't there and he moved from verse number five, which most of us think verse number five tells us the wickedness of our hearts and move right to verse number seven, which was the wrath of God. If we didn't have verse number six, God wouldn't have been gracious. But we have verse number six. His grace leads him to regret and his grace leads him to Feeling grief. Let's keep going. Verse number seven. We're going to sense the, the wrath of God here. We okay today? Yeah. All right. Y'all are quiet. Verse number seven. So the Lord said, I will blot out man that I have created from the face of this land. Man and animal, which is crazy because the animals didn't do anything. And creeping things and birds of the air. Look at what God says. I am sorry that I have made man. Scripture shows us now that he is led to wrath and God announces here the cataclysmic event that will happen. And don't don't read verse number seven and say, "Okay, that was old times. There's that's not going to happen again. Yeah, the flood won't happen again. But we do know the wrath of God is coming again. We don't preach about the wrath of God enough. We preach about the love of God and the patience of God and the and the grace of God. And these are all true. But do you know one of his attributes is wrath? And his wrath is because he's holy, because no sin can be in his presence. Number five, if he let number five slide, verse number five slide, he's not a just God. Can you imagine if a judge, a natural human judge, sat on, a, sat on his bench and crime after crime, he said, yeah, I'll just let that slide. He's unjust. He shouldn't rule any cases. He needs to be go. He needs to go. Verse number five shows us his anger. He shows us. The sinfulness of man, verse number six, shows us his anguish. Verse number seven shows us how God moves on our sin. There's a picture I wanted to show you guys. I ran across this picture. If you guys could pull this picture up. This picture is a picture of a sign that is in customs. You guys have that picture? It's a sign that is in customs uh, in Singapore. So when you get out the airplane and you're going through customs, this is the sign that's in cut. Now this is not just in one place. It's all over. I want to draw your attention right there where the skull is. Look at this law, death for drug traffickers under Singapore law. Now here's the thing about the law in Singapore for as little as 20 grams, which is a, a matchbox size, as little as 20 grams, the scripture that mean the scripture, the, the sign doesn't say, the sign doesn't say that you get time in jail. Doesn't say you get probation. It says death. Now, what we're seeing in verse number seven is the wrath of God, but it's not like we, it's, it's not like, like God is warning us in verse number seven. He's not, this is not what he's doing here. See, so what we see in verse number seven and what we get, we're privileged this morning that we get to hear over and over again, warnings about the wrath of God that's to come. The crazy thing about this, this sign that's all over the place is although this penalty is, I mean, it goes far beyond what normal laws say, 
Although that's the penalty, there's still drug traffickers that come through there. It's still men that try to smuggle drugs on through Singapore. And you may be reading that and saying, man, that's crazy. Why? Like, that's the penalty. Why would they smuggle drugs into Singapore? But it's just as foolish that we read places like verse number seven, what's to come, and we do not. We ignore the warnings. Over and over again, we ignore the warnings. And so what we see in verse number seven is God giving us that warning this morning. Like maybe you're in here and you're like, you know what? I know that the wrath of God is to come. I understand that. I still haven't trusted Jesus. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. But tomorrow's not promised. Y'all hear me say all the time, Fulton Street is a busy street. Walk out there today and get hit by a car. The wrath of God. Where will you, where will you spend eternity? See, this is why we celebrate the baby in the manger. This is why Christmas is so important to us. You can go back to the scriptures. This is why Christmas is so important to us. The reason is because the baby in the manger lived 33 years of perfection. And when he lived 33 years of perfection, what he does is absorbs the wrath of God for all of us in here that have trusted in Jesus. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why every Sunday you'll never come here and not hear Jesus You'll never come here and see a song that's not about Jesus. The reason we make a lot of noise about Jesus is because verse number seven, Jesus absorbed. He absorbed the wrath of God that's due to our sin. That's the beauty in the gospel. The beauty in the gospel is not that your sin is swept under the rug. The beauty in the gospel is not that he saw your sin and said, I'm going to forgive it without payment of, of death. No, there is death. But the death for the believer is not our own death. It's the death of another. Verse 8 is going to make this a little bit more clear for us. That is why we worship Jesus, the baby in the manger, because he lived a perfected life, goes to a cross, and then that 33 years of perfection, he gives it to the believer. And then he takes your sin. And that wrath we just saw in verse number 7, Jesus absorbs it on behalf of us. There's a, a, a movie, I've told this story before. There's a movie called The Last Emperor. And in The Last Emperor, it's a story about a, a three-year-old child that rises to the rank of emperor of China. And in this story, he has servants and he has eunuchs and, and everyone's around him and they're serving him. And the, and the emperor's brother, three-year-old child, the emperor's brother said, what happens when you do wrong? When you do something wrong, what happens? Do you get punished for it? The emperor says, no, I don't get punished. When I do something wrong, my servant is beat. So he wanted to show, he wanted to give this example. So he takes a jar and he smashes it on the ground. And when he smashes it on the ground, his servant gets beat. See, the gospel is absolutely opposite of that. What the gospel says is the servant does something wrong and the king is beat. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number six says, the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. Verse number seven is laid on Jesus if you're a believer. That's why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we worship Jesus. Now, verse eight is going to make this a little bit more clear. It's going to show us the gospel. Keep in mind, I'm going to read it for you. But Jesus talks about this very passage. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24. So it's easy for us to read this and say, okay, there's a disconnect between this and the cross. No, Jesus says that wrath, that's coming again. That's coming again. But what we see here is what's called typology. I feel like we're in school today. Typology is what we're about to see in verse number eight, because the scripture is going to say Noah, 
But typology says Noah is just a type of a Christ that is to come. So what we see with Noah is what we see in Jesus. Let me show you it. Verse number eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, no, Noah wasn't perfect. Read chapter nine. Noah acts up. Noah's not perfect. Noah wasn't selected because he was so great. Noah deserved the same wrath that everybody else got. But through God's gracious love, he decided to lavish love on Noah. Noah wasn't sinless. The only sinless person we have is Jesus Christ. Noah received here grace. When it says found here, Noah found favor, it means to reach. God reached down and decided to give grace to Noah. So don't, I don't want us to read this and say, okay, Noah was perfect. Noah is Jesus. No, Noah's not Jesus. Noah needs Jesus. He just decided to give his love and his grace. Now, here's the interesting thing about verse number eight. Verse number eight says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But if you keep reading, Noah isn't the only one that's saved on the boat. Seven other people get saved, not just Noah. Where, where am I going with that? Noah, seven other people are saved because Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Here's the Christmas story. You and I that have trusted Jesus are saved not because you did anything good. You're on the boat because of Jesus. We're saved because Jesus Christ found favor in the eyes of his father. This is why I said it's typology. What do I mean by that is Noah's just a type of what's to come. The ark shows us the wrath of God. The, those who were in the ark were protected from the wrath of God. The same water, Peter talks about this too. The same water that drowned all of humanity, Peter says that water lifted up eight people. And the seven other people that were saved were saved because Noah found favor in the eyes of God. So if you're in here and you're like, man, I'm saved, but it's because I did, I did so much that was good and I came to church and, you know, I, I got up and prayed. Those are the reasons I'm saved. Listen, those aren't the reasons you're saved. That, you may do that, but the reason you're saved is because a type of Noah named Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, our belief, our trust, our giving our life to that baby in the manger is what saves us. Noah found favor. In the eyes of God. And so Noah had three sons. He, their three sons had three wives. And he, Noah, had a wife. Seven other people get to experience a pardon from the wrath of God because of Noah. You and I in this room that have trusted Jesus get to experience a pardon from the wrath of God because of Jesus. Most of us rejoice at, because what we do is we read this and we think the wrath, yeah, that's, that's really not going to come. And we rejoice in places like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is true. But have you ever read the last verse of John chapter 3? Read the last verse, verse 36. Verse 36 says something very powerful. It says, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath remains on him. The wrath remains on the person that does not trust Jesus. If that's you in this room, if you've come in here and you're trying to celebrate Christmas, you can't fully celebrate Christmas until you celebrate the one that Christmas is about. The Christian doesn't rejoice over gifts on, under the tree. 
We rejoice at the gift that was on the tree. Jesus Christ. Galatians talk about this. Galatians 3, 13. Cursed is he that hung on the tree. Our joy is in what's under that tree. Our joy is that Christ hanging on that tree was absorbing the penalty that you and I should have paid for. Those seven people that got on that boat shouldn't have got on that boat, but they did because of Noah. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As your head is bowed and every, as your eye is closed, I just want to and land the plane by reading John chapter, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 24. I told you Jesus talks about this very story. And the reason I want to read it is because you, you might be in here and you might think that you have more time. You might think, okay, I can, I can make it through the end of this year. That's, that may not be. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to 39. Jesus talks about what they were doing during the time that God sent the flood. Look at what they were doing. For as were the days of Noah, this is Jesus. So as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, listen what they were doing. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Verse 39 makes it a little bit more clear. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Jesus just said the same way everyone went about their life and they were marrying and they were eating they were giving themselves in marriage the same way they had no clue that God was going to send a flood. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, the son of man is coming back just like that. That means we'll be going on about our lives. If you haven't trusted Jesus, you'll just go to work tomorrow and you'll wrap the gifts in a few weeks and you'll put them under the tree and you'll try to have a, you know, we'll run up debt. We'll do all of this stuff in order to have a good Christmas and neglect to trust in Jesus. And Jesus just said, when the son of man comes back, it's going to be as quick as it was for those who didn't know that flood was about to happen. Maybe you're in here and you have not trusted Jesus. You're not on the boat. You're still outside of the boat. Let me just assure you, your ticket onto the boat isn't good behavior. Your ticket onto the boat is it let me white knuckle it. Your ticket on the boat is finding favor in the eyes of God because of his son, Jesus Christ. If you haven't trusted Jesus today, what better gift can you get than eternal life? What better gift can you get than someone who is willing to give his life for you? He didn't have to pay for his own sin because he had no sin. Bible says wasn't even deceit found in his mouth. He goes to a cross sinless. And for the first time in 33 years of his humanity, he takes on sin. For the first time when he takes on sin, his father is silent in heaven towards him. But it was because of our sin. Yes, think about that sin, the one that you didn't tell anybody about. That sin Jesus absorbs on the wrath, absorbs the wrath of God on your behalf. Seek the Lord today while he may be found.
There is going to be a time that he's not going to be found. If you have not trusted him, there's a time that it's going to be too late. That's what Isaiah 55 says. Seek him while he may be found. In other words, there's a time you can't find him. And that time is too late. If you haven't trusted Jesus, every head bow. I pray that you would receive the greatest gift today. And that is a regenerate heart. A heart that was dead, alive to Jesus Christ. If you haven't trusted Jesus, give your life to him today. Stop acting like you got it together. Anybody in this room that has trusted Jesus knows we don't have it together. We are leaning deeply on the cross of Jesus Christ. None of us are sitting there chilling at the cross. We're all kneeling. I pray that you would kneel today. If you haven't trusted Jesus, would you slip your hand in the air? You say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I see that hand. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Tomorrow is not promised, but today. Jesus said, the day you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. If you don't know him, receive him today. That hand that is raised, if you could just come to the front. Epiphany, I ask that you would just be praying. Because what's happening right now is all of heaven is rejoicing. Here's the crazy thing. Heaven's rejoicing and we're quiet. Heaven is rejoicing over one repentant sinner. One person says, I need to give my life fully to Jesus Christ. I need to stop straddling the fence. I may have, there, there may be somebody else in here. I grew up in church. I go to church, but I haven't trusted in this message that Jesus stood condemned in my place. Is there another one? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this, your, your daughter, the one that you died for. Beauty is all of her sins, past, present, and future are all wiped away, all taken care of. I thank you, Lord. We don't take this moment for granted. Help us to rejoice like heaven is rejoicing. And I pray for that from this moment on, that this, your daughter, would walk away with a transformed life. Pray that she wouldn't be able to keep quiet about the work of Jesus in her life. And may hundreds, if not thousands of people, come to know you because of this one. Thank you for the power that's in the gospel. For it is the power unto salvation. For all that believe, we thank you that it saves. Thank you that it does not come back void, but it comes back reaching the loss. And all of us stood here. If we've trusted Jesus, we all stood in this place. And we thank you for what you're going to do in her life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can we thank God for this one?